pray now that you would open our hearts, Lord. We're looking at really your mind. We're looking into your heart. We're looking into the depths of your eternal plan, and it's quite beyond our understanding. Lord, to the degree that we're the center of our lives, it may seem extremely impractical. But I pray, Father, that we would understand what you want us to understand and that we would learn the lessons that you want us to learn. So we thank you. We praise you and look forward with expectation of what you're going to teach us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. 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 Hope you're looking forward to a great week. Let's look at Romans chapter 11. Turn to Romans chapter 11 and we're going to be in verse 11. Romans 11 beginning in verse 11. Romans 11, beginning in verse 11. Now, Lord willing, we have uh, today, next week, and the week after, and we will complete Romans 11. And this is really where these two chapters have been uh, headed. This is where the whole book of Romans has been headed. And yet, it's easy to overlook Romans 11. I was tempted to get this all done by this Sunday and just kind of rushed through that. And I thought, well, after going through 9 and 10, why would we want to rush through the, the climax of it? And so I thought, well, okay, I need some help. And so I uh, want to make this simple and simple outline, all these kind of things. So I thought, oh, I'll look at Chuck Swindoll. Uh, he's a guy from Dallas Seminary. I know he sees the importance of Israel and dispensationalism and great communicator. He'll give me a nice, simple outline. So I turned to look at what he does in this portion of Romans 11. And, and he says this, Well, this is more stuff about Israel. Let me summarize, and then he jumps to the end of the chapter. And I'm like, okay, Chuck, you did not help me out at all. You did not help me out at all. And so we're going to tackle this with three three lessons, Lord willing. And as we do, I just want to point out a couple things. Uh, One is, I want you to look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. Even though what we're talking about in 9, 10, 11 has had a tremendous amount to do with Israel. I want you to look at verse 13, and he says this. Now I'm speaking to you, what? You Gentiles. So he, even though this, this is about Israel predominantly, it, it has application, it has meaning and understanding for you. And then I want you to look at verse 25, and look at how he starts verse 25 of chapter 11. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery. Now, you know my passion is application. My passion is to help make things practical. And as I was going through this, I was like, here's the application for today. You need to know this. You need to know this. Paul has said so. God is saying so through Paul. And so we have to sometimes... Get our focus off ourselves and onto the purposes and and plans of God. Because, you know, sometimes we can get so pragmatic, so applicational in our approach to church that if it doesn't help me with my marriage, if it doesn't help me with my finances, if it doesn't help me to have better sex, that's popular right now to be teaching on that. If it doesn't help me in these practical areas, then, then there's something wrong with what's being taught. There's something, you know, let's move on to what is more practical. Well, here we are, and God says, look, I want you to understand this, and I want you to understand it because if you don't understand it, you're going to become prideful. You're going to become prideful about your salvation. Now, we'll talk about that aspect of it next week. This 
today's lesson, I want you to understand. I do not, Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this, brethren. Now, as you know, my dad recently died. In the last week of his life, he fell three times. At the beginning of the week, he fell and nearly was crushed by his garage door. Garage door just literally crushed him down. And uh, a neighbor had to come over, and, and he was with my aunt, who was uh, up in age as well. And so my neighbor had to come over, uh, who was in his 70s, and, and pick him up, get him back on his feet and go to the doctor's appointment that he was going to. Then at the end of the week on Friday, the day, the, the day before he died, he fell again in the bathroom. And in that case, we had to call 911 and took him to the hospital. And, of course, he never uh, came back. The third time he fell was in the middle of the week. It was Wednesday night, Wednesday. And uh, after church here and after locking up here, he had asked me to come over and put his trash out for him because he couldn't get it out to the street anymore. And so I did that and uh, said bye to him and, and came home and went to sleep. And then at midnight, got that phone call that when you have aging parents, you never want to, you, you just don't want your phone to ring at midnight when your kids are out or when your parents are aging. So it came at, at midnight, and I, man, I do not want to answer this, but I have to answer this. And I answered it, and then I heard words that I'd often heard, uh, but more as a joke, more as uh, something from a commercial. And it was my dad, and he said, Chris, I've fallen, and I can't get up. All right, Dad, I'll be there. So I drove over there at midnight, just a really, really bizarre drive that I will never you know, forget. I mean, the streets are dark. No one's out there, and I'm driving to this house, not really knowing what I'm going to see, what I'm going to find, and just really in a very unusual position, knowing that my dad's in an even greater one. And so we go through the house, and the house, of course, is dark. I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever driven up to that house when it was dark. So it's totally dark, and go through the garage, and start turning up lights, turning up lights. His bedroom's way in the back of the corner of the house, and go through there, and, and just not wanting to go. And uh, as I go there, I flip the light on, and there's my dad just sitting there on the floor, sitting up, but sitting with his legs out, and just in the dark, and he had been in the dark, and, and for the next probably over an hour, uh, he and I struggled with thinking through how to get him into his bed. How, how are we going to do this? We tried a couple things, and, and you know, I said, now, when, when, when our neighbor came over and did this, how do you do it, Dad? Well, he just did that. Well, this guy's 70. I said, well, man, he's 70. I'm going to, you know, what in the world? I've got to do I am not calling anyone. I, I can do this. You know, I can get you up. And uh, there were some extenuating circumstances that just due to uh, respect for my dad, I won't tell you about. But, uh, um, but actually, part of the problem was by this time he was so weak, it was just literally, he, he, he was of no help. It was just all weight. And uh, so, anyway, make a long story uh, short, uh, we got him into bed after a while. Well, I couldn't help but think of that as we look at Romans eleven, eleven, Because we come here, this whole chapter is structured around logical questions with biblical answers. And it's, it, it's structured around two questions, and they, they're there at the top of your notes. The first question we looked at last week, and it was this, the question of Israel's total rejection is answered. The question of Israel's total or complete rejection is answered. Has God rejected his people totally? And the answer was no, it's a partial rejection. We gave you five proofs, Romans 11, 1 through 10. Now for the rest of the chapter, he's answering 
the next logical question, and it's this. The question of Israel's permanent rejection. The question of Israel's permanent. Well, okay, it's partial, but is it permanent? Okay, it's not total, but is it final? And that is asked and answered in Romans 11 through 32. So let's look at it, and you'll see the relevance to what my dad and I experienced the week before he died. Notice verse 11. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Did they stumble in order that they might fall? That's the question. There's the answer, same as the first one. By no means. Absolutely not. God forbid it's impossible. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure, the failure of Israel, means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion, their full salvation, their full restoration mean? Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Why? In order that somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Now here's the main idea of the rest of Romans 11, and particularly the portion we just read. God has not rejected His people, Israel, forever. They have stumbled, but they have not fallen. They have stumbled, but they have not fallen. And and just to get us into this, let's just look at the question, how it's asked, how it's answered, and what the answer means. So let's, let's, let's dive into this a little bit. Notice the question is asked. And I have it there in the Net Bible because they really bring out the, the, the tone of Paul's asking this. I asked then, they did not stumble, stumble into an irrevocable fall, did they? In other words, he's expecting a negative answer. He's expecting that. He's saying, look, this is impossible to think that this fall is irrevocable. It's, 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 it's permanent. ESV simply says, so I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Now, here's what he's saying and why I thought for my dad and I thought of that famous commercial. He's asking, have they fallen and they can't get up? Have they so fallen, have they so stumbled that like in that commercial, and like my phone, my phone uh, the message from my dad, I've fallen and I can't get up. It's impossible. I will be here and I will never get into that bed unless something intervenes, unless something happens. Isn't permanent. And you see in your notes, the question is this. Has the nation of Israel stumbled over the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ? Have they stumbled over Christ in such a way that they've fallen and they will never, ever get up? Now, that's the question. Let me, let me just kind of explore that a little bit. The result of Israel's national rejection of Christ, is it such that they will never repent and believe as a nation? Or you could ask it this way. It, it, it implies this as well. Has God's purpose in hardening Israel such that it will lead to eternal condemnation? Has he hardened Israel to such an extent that they, as a nation, are forever doomed? Or 
I know you were thinking this on the way to church. You were thinking about those replacement theologians again, weren't you? You see, this is the question. Because here's the question. Have they fallen? And because they've rejected Christ, has the church replaced Israel? Is there no more future for Israel? Because after all, it was no small thing that they did, was it? What did they do? How did they stumble? They rejected their promised Messiah. They denied Christ before Pilate. They delivered him over to Pilate and Rome to be crucified. Crucify him. Crucify him. They chose a rebel and a revolutionary and a murderer by the name of Barabbas over their perfect righteous Lord and Savior. And so, because of that, has God rejected Israel and have they fallen so they can't get up and he's replaced them with the church as his chosen people? Well, that's the question asked. Let's look at the question answered. He answers it in that famous way that Paul says, absolutely not. God forbid. May it never be. Impossible. Away with such thinking. And notice how the Net Bible says it in your notes. But by their transgression... Salvation, but far from condemnation in God's intention. There's been salvation by their transgression. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. You could put your name in there. You could put your name in there. It's come to you because of their sin. You have been saved. Not only that, but it's been done to make Israel jealous. It has been done to make them jealous. Now, let's look at his answer there in verse 11. Just as with the the first question Paul asked last week, he expects a negative answer. And just as with the first answer, he answers with that emphatic no way. And this is the last time Paul will say, by no means. He said it ten times in the book of Romans. You see, the book of Romans is a logical book, but not logical in a human sense. You know, it's logical, but it, it keeps saying, now here's what human reasoning says, but by no means should you think that way. God's revelation is greater than human reasoning. And uh, we learn much uh, from these uh, God forbids or these by absolutely nots. Now, he's making a strong contrast there. If you look in your Bible, there in verse 11, uh, ESV says, rather, some other translations have a but. It's a strong contrast. He says, look, You're thinking about Israel's condemnation, but even in Israel's judgment, God's thinking salvation. God is a merciful God. He's even in judgment. He's always thinking salvation. And what a great thought here on Palm Sunday as we think of the crucifixion, the last week, the Passover week of the Lord Jesus Christ. When God let his son go to that cross, he wasn't thinking just judgment. He was thinking what? What? Salvation. Salvation. And Paul's saying that Israel's sin has led to the possibility of Gentile salvation in Christ apart from the law. Their rejection of Christ has made world missions a reality. That's what you look at verse 11. That's missions. He's saying, look, we wouldn't have world missions if it wasn't for Israel's rejection of Christ. That opened the door for the gospel to go to all peoples. He's also saying that the salvation of so many Gentiles is meant for the purpose to make Israel jealous so that they can be saved in the future. Now, look at verse 11 and look at that answer. And in that answer, do you see that there's three phases in what he's saying? He's saying, first of all, 
Israel stumbled. Then he's saying something about Gentile salvation. And then at the end, he says this kind of mysterious phrase, the Israel's jealousy. There's, there's three things here. And that is a mystery. And so the third thing I want you to see about Paul's answer is this. The answer reveals a mystery. This is a mystery. These three phases is a mystery. And you say, I'm not quite clear on that. That's all right. The Romans weren't either. And so turn to verses 25 and 26. Turn to Romans 25 and 26. And here Paul makes clear what all of Romans 7 is about, or Romans 11 is about, and he makes clear what we need to understand for today's lesson. This is what God wants us to understand as Gentiles. Notice what it says, 25 and 26. Well, we'll read through 27. Lest you be wise in your own sight, you Gentiles, I want you to understand this mystery. We talked earlier with some folks about marking your Bible. I'd circle mystery. Circle that word mystery. I want you to understand this mystery for others. And then he says three, three things, three phases. Notice what he says. Here's the mystery. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. A partial hardening. That's this. Is, that's first Israel's past and partial rejection. That's the first phase. There's a partial hardening judgment upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That's the second phase. Gentile, present, redemption. The salvation and the redemption. So you have this rejection until all of the Gentiles are saved, that are going to be saved. And then you have the third part. And in this way, in this manner, all Israel will be saved. There's phase three, Israel's future restoration. So, because Israel rejected Christ, and there's two ways that this has taken place. It took place, place, first of all, at the cross. When they rejected Jesus, and they delivered him up to the cross, they chose Barabbas over Jesus, and that is a rejection that opened the door. Christ died for the world, including you and I. But that brought in this global missionary endeavor that we pray for missionaries, we give to missions, we have our world outreach. That's going on right now. And and when the last Gentile is saved, whether that be a Russian, a Dutch person, a Hispanic person, an Asian person, we don't know. But God knows. And when that happens, there will be a future salvation where Paul says... All Israel will be saved. And the implication of that is something greater is going to happen. Well, let's take a look at it. This is the mystery. Now, what is a mystery? First, two things I want you to understand about it, and I have them just written, written down there. A mystery in the Bible is not unraveled by human reasoning, but divine revelation. A mystery is not a riddle. It's a revelation. A mystery is not something that, okay, God says, I've made it real complicated. Now you've got to figure it out. No, I've revealed it. There it is. There it is. But you know what? You would never know this had God not told you. Had God not revealed this to us, we would never know this. And so that's the first thing. It's, it's not a riddle. It's a revelation. The second thing is the divine revelation often reveals truth that has not been previously revealed or understood. In other words, it's not logical. It's biblical. It's not logical, it's biblical. 
The idea is, Paul, you just read something in Romans 11 that up until that time had not been fully revealed. God revealed it to Paul, and he revealed it now to you as Gentiles. Listen, rather than skipping over these portions of Scripture, we need to fall on our knees and say, God has a purpose and a plan, and he has stooped to let me in on it. This is big news. This is big stuff. Okay, so let's look at it. Let me give you the overview of the mystery of God's majestic mission of mercy. That's why I've called this whole series. I'm convinced, uh, though I was clueless when I came up with that, having now studied it, I, am, I, I was right, okay? And I'm so thankful. Okay, God's majestic mission of mercy, and it's a mystery. Now, the rest of Romans 11 is structured in this way. We're going to look today at the phases of the mystery. There they are. We're going to look at that. He wants us to look at the phases, and I've given you the verses. Then he has pictures, because this is hard to understand. He gives us, like a good preacher, he gives us a couple illustrations. And so he gives us the olive tree. The problem with Paul's illustrations is they're more complex than his teaching, okay? And they're more mysterious than his teaching. So we got the olive tree that we're going to be looking at and the small lump of dough. Now, what baking and uh, uh, gardening have to do with God's purposes. We're going to find that out, Francis. So hang on to your seat, okay? Just hang on there. The pictures of the mystery. That's, that's going to be next week. Happy Easter. Now, the third part of the mystery is the purpose of the mystery. The purpose of the mystery. And that's when it gets really exciting. That's where we figure out, now, what's the practical purpose of this? And what is the majestic purpose? Of, oh, it's just so good. It's just so good. And anybody that skips over all this is just missing out the goodness. So let's, this is what we're going to look at. Now, today what we're looking at is the phases of the mystery. And here's what the mystery proves. Real simple. Israel's fallen, but they're going to get up. Israel's fallen, but they're going to get up. But in a sense, like my dad, it's not going to be because of their strength. And it's not going to be because of their ability. It's because God and his son Jesus Christ are going to intervene. And when God intervenes, that which looks like permanent can be reversed. That which looks like judgment becomes salvation, for which we ought to all be shouting, thank you, Jesus. Amen? Because I don't care where you are today. Your situation can be radically reversed. It's called resurrection. It's called conversion. It's called the power of God to change my life. And he can do it for Israel as a nation. And so you see the three phases I have written up there. They're there in your notes. They're all based off of, of, of uh, Romans 11.25. Now, I will say this. This is what's really cool. about As you read through Romans 11, every, almost every verse in Romans 11 has these three phases. And he just keeps going through. If this, then this, then this. If this, then this, then this. He just keeps going through it. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to take you through these three three phases, and he takes you through them three times every time. I think he wants us to know something. Okay, so let's see if we, if if we, we, we can take a look at it. Okay, first of all, the first phase. Let's look at the first phase. The past and partial rejection. The past and partial rejection of Israel as a nation due to unbelief. We see this in verses 11 and 12. 
The past and partial rejection of Israel as a nation due to unbelief. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. Now, let's look at it. He, he, he goes through it three times, and each time he shows you a different facet of it. So let's take a look. First of all, Israel's trespass. The first thing that he wants us to take note of is Israel's trespass. Now, this word is a cool word in the sense that it literally means to stumble over something. To trip over something, which is the whole figure of speech. But it came to mean a very simple thing. It means sin. Transgression. Forgive someone their transgression. And it means to, to not do what God wants you to do. And of course, the greatest misstep that we can ever make as human beings is to not do what God wants us to do in relation to who? Jesus Christ. Rejecting Him. And so what you have is... The trespass that they committed was rejecting Christ, and they stumbled, stumbled over the cornerstone. Now, we've already seen this. Uh, turn to Romans 9, 32 through 33. Look at Romans 9, 32 through 33. He's, he's, he's talked about this several times in these three chapters. Notice what it says. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. Israel did not pursue God's righteousness by faith, but as, it, as if it were based on works. They stumbled. Over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The stumbling stone, the cornerstone is Christ. Romans 11.9, he talks about stumbling. Look at Romans 11.9, he says this, And David says, their ta- Let their table become a snare and a trap, and there's the same word, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. I've already talked about this trespass occurred before the cross when they sent Jesus to the cross. And it happened after the cross as the risen Christ was preached. Read through the book of Acts. Right now in my daily reading, I'm reading through the book of Acts. And I just see Romans 9 through 11 all unfolding because as the risen Christ is preached, the Jews go berserk, they reject him, and the apostles turn from the Jews to the to the Gentiles. The, so Acts is an unfolding of this, this mystery. All right. Now, it's not only a trespass, but in verse 12, it is called a loss. It's called a loss. Because what happens when you reject Christ? You lose out on God's salvation. You lose out on God's riches. You lose out on God's blessing. Look at verse 12. Now, if their trespass means Riches for the world, and if they're failure, there's the word. It can be translated failure. Some translations uh, call it defeat. It's the idea is that when you fail and you lose, and you lose, there's a loss. You know, if if you're in a battle and you lose, you lose, uh, and, and, and you're defeated, there's a loss. Now, the third word, the third time he talks about this, he calls it rejection. This time, this was Israel's doing. This was God's doing. When you reject Christ, you suffer loss. And what does God do towards you? He rejects you. He rejects you for eternal judgment. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world. Now, What we just went through is all applied to Israel as a nation in relation to Christ. But let's just take one minute and realize this. This is true for every person in the world. If if you reject Christ, 
you will suffer eternal loss and God will reject you at the final judgment and there will be eternal condemnation. Folks, this is why what we do is so important. And it's more important than whatever's on your to-do list. It's more important than whatever's on your agenda. It's more important than your problems. I've got problems. You've got problems. All God's children's got problems. If we're going to wait till our problems are solved to get on God's mission, you won't ever make it. This is bigger than all of our, and may I say, petty problems. And some of our petty problems are really big. But this is big. Because this is for eternity. Or so there you see the the first phase. Okay, now let's move on to the second phase. He's going to look at the second phase, and he's going to look at it three times. So let's look at how he looks at this. Because remember, this their rejection resulted in our salvation. All right, and only God could do such a thing. So let's look at phase two is the present redemption of the Gentiles. And I put in parentheses and Jewish remnant to make Israel jealous. So this second phase, their rejection resulted in our redemption as well as a plus a Jewish remnant, right? We already studied that. It's not total. So don't forget about them. But predominantly, who is getting saved? Ever since Christ rose from the dead, predominantly who... Well, initially, it was almost all Jewish people. But it didn't take long because it be, before it became predominantly Gentiles. And in our church, how many Jewish people do we have? How many Jewish people do you know? You know what's interesting, though? I will say this, that through doing this study, uh, at least two in this class have told me that they have personal relationships with Jewish people. They're, they are out there, folks. And it is our job to witness to them. But right now... You have this. Now, in each of these verses, which is like verse 11, verse 12, and verse 15, he says three things about this redemption. Let's look at what they are. First of all, he says this, Due to Israel's trespass, salvation has come. Due to Israel's trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, this is what's freaky. Sin... He said this was basically a sinful stumble. Sin resulted in what? Salvation. All right? That's verse 11. It says, he says, um, by no means rather their trespass, sinful stumbling, stumbling by their trespass, or, or trespass, salvation has come. And I, I just can't say it any more literal or, or bluntly than what Paul said. Because of their sin, you can be saved. Now that knocks our pride down just a little bit. Okay? Let's look at the second thing. Due to Israel's loss, we have riches. Spiritual riches in Christ. Something that he's talked about several times already in Romans 9 through 11. Look again at verse 12. 11, 12. He says this. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, do you see what's going on here? Their loss means what? Our gain. Their loss means our gain. That which they failed to get, we're getting, and we're getting it in abundance. Why do I say that? Well, I say that because Romans 10, 11 through 13. Look back at Romans 10. 
11 through 13. Romans 10, 11 through 13. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. That's where we're at right now. No distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all. And what is he doing? Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus are poured out on you according to Ephesians chapter 1. Their loss, our gain, their stumble means our riches. Third, due to Israel's rejection, and remember this was God's rejection, the third thing is God's reconciliation. God's reconciliation of the world. Look at verse 15. This is the climactic verse. Look at verse 15. 11.15, notice what he says. For if their rejection means reconciliation of the world. So, God rejecting them means that now God can be reconciled with you. Do you see how this grows? you see how it goes? Paul's already talked about this in Romans 5.10. You know the verse. It's part of the Romans road. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Think of Colossians 1.20. And through Christ, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Their rejection of sending Christ to the cross means reconciliation through His blood for all peoples. Think about 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through uh, 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new what? Creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Folks, that's what we do when we invite people to church. We're ambassadors. We're imploring. We're saying, reconcile, be reconciled. God's a reconciling God. I didn't know I was His enemy. Let me tell you how that plays out. Now, this phase, how long will it last? How long will they be rejected and how long do we have opportunities to be saved? Look in your notes what it says. How long will this last? Until the final Gentile is saved. Until the final Gentile is saved and the times of the Gentiles comes to an end right before the second coming of Christ. You want the reference on the times of the Gentiles, Luke 21, 24. Notice what it says in verse 25. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles. I believe that when the last Gentile is saved in the midst of the great tribulation, then is when Israel will be saved. Then is when Christ will have returned. It's all, it, we, we have an opportunity. Listen, a couple things to re- application. First of all, we don't have forever to get this job done. We don't have forever to get the message out. There will be a time, and God knows already who it is. 
God already knows who the last person to be saved is. We don't, and what's our job? Get it out there to every person possible. How long will it last until the final Gentile is saved? And then we need to be reminded, can individual Jews still be saved during this time? What's your answer? Yes, yes, they can be saved, which is why Paul in verses 13 and 14, look at verses 13 and 14, because Jews can still be saved, it's a partial hardening. This is why he makes much of his ministry to the Gentiles. Notice what he says. He says, now I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. He, he, he's saying this, don't use my passion for missions to, be, uh, to infer that I have rejected, that I have no heart for my people Israel. Do not think because I, a Jew, am reaching out to Gentiles that God has replaced Israel with the church. Wrong idea. I'm winning and making much of Gentiles so that my people will become jealous and they will say, hey, that's my inheritance you're enjoying. Those are my promises that you're claiming. That's my salvation that you're enjoying. I want in on that. And if that means accepting Christ, okay. I got it wrong. My people have it wrong. I repent. I want in on what has been promised to me. I find that amazing. But it gets better. It gets better. Let's look at phase three. We look at phase three. So he's going through all three phases and all three times he says something about it. Three times, but each time he says it, he's just not repeating. He's building. He's climaxing. So let's look at the third one. And it's this. The future restoration of Israel as a nation. The future restoration of Israel as a nation. So let's go through it three times again. Paul's arguing from lesser to greater. Now, here's the big idea. He's arguing from lesser to greater. The lesser is this. If sin can accomplish this much salvation, just think when Israel accepts their Messiah, what do you think is going to happen? If, if Messiah, if Jesus were here at Easter, that's Passover Sunday, Palm Sunday, if Christ dying on the cross results in this much blessing to sinners, what will happen when he comes a second time and his people Israel don't reject him but accept him? There is much more that is really cool. Take a look. This is how much more logic, what kind of logic God has. How much more? If all this happened here, how much more when this happened? So let's take a look at it. First of all, if Israel's trespass meant salvation for the Gentiles, then what greater things will happen when Israel jealously seeks? Jealously Okay, if all this happened when they rejected him, when they start really getting the picture that we're missing out, whoa, what could happen then? Look at the next one. If Israel's trespass meant riches, how much more will their full inclusion, is how the ESV, full inclusion, or you could equally say restoration, ah, restoration, Fulfillment. The word is a, it's a word that means two things. 
It's quantity and it's quality. He's saying this. If their loss and the hardening of the majority of Jews resulted in this much riches, then when the full number of Israel, when the total nation numerically gets saved, and when all their promises are fulfilled and everything is complete, oh man, how much more will that be? That's verse 12. Let's look at verse 15. Though. Verse 10. And by the way, this would be better than winning the lottery. What he's, he's riches. How much was it? What was it? I have it written down. Hundred, yeah. 640 million. And you know what the odds were? 176 million to one odds. All right. You know how much money they made off of people's desire to get rich quick? You know how much money they made just on Friday? $650 million in sales just on Friday. Far more. All that they gave away just in one day. Now, the odds were... Um, six, uh, what were the odds? 176 million to one. I, I saw this on the news last night. It was just so funny. Guy got bought three tickets and then got struck by lightning that same day. Okay. Now there, there could be a whole lesson in that, but, uh, but the funny thing, thing is, is the odds were 176 million to one to win the lottery. And the odds of getting struck by lightning are 775,000 to one. I just thought that was hilarious. And they, they interviewed him. He's out there and, you know, and he's like, yeah, my memory's a little shot right now. I don't. Anyway, it was just fun. All right. All I know is these riches are going to be far better and the odds are complete. Now, notice number three. If Israel's rejection meant reconciliation, uh, possible uh, that meant uh, by God meant reconciliation is possible for the entire world, then what will their acceptance by God mean? What will their acceptance by God mean but resurrection from the dead? Resurrection and the restoration of all things. I really struggle with, you know, we're going to go through Romans 11 during Easter. But see, here's the problem. A couple problems, just like with missions. We tend to take Christ's resurrection power off the shelf once a year and then put it back on, put it back up, just like we do our Easter clothing right, or our egg hunts and all that. Well, here's another thing about resurrection. It isn't just about his. It's about ours. It isn't just about ours. It's about the resurrection of unbelievers unto eternal judgment. There's coming a resurrection at the end when God's people, Israel, will be saved, they will be resurrected, and they will enter into a thousand years of kingdom fulfillment and promises like this world has never seen far from replacing israel he has a future resurrection and restoration life from the dead life from the dead the old testament confirms this look at the confirmation in verses 26 and 27 he says look in this way in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. That's Jesus. And what is he going to do? He's going to banish all ungodliness from Jacob. See, he's going he's to take away their trespass. He's going to replace their loss. And their rejection is going to become reconciliation and restoration. And notice he says, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That's the new covenant 
covenant of Jeremiah. It's the new covenant because they already broke the old one. That's why they're in this predicament. They broke God's covenant with Moses. And now he makes a new covenant. And in that new covenant, when Christ returns, they're going to look up and see the one that they have pierced. They're going to see the risen Lord coming with the clouds. And they're going to wail and weep and repent. And they're going to say, we want him. We want him. We want him. And he's going to give them a new heart. And that new heart is going to be a heart for God. And the law is going to be written on their hearts. By the way, that's what we enjoy as Christians. But it's their covenant that we are enjoying. Because it's their Messiah that we are trusting in. Isn't that wonderful? And so the Old Testament confirms all this. And the New Testament says, here's the mystery. You say, where's the mystery? What's hidden? Listen, the Old Testament said they were going to reject Messiah. That's in the Old Testament. The Old Testament said they were going to repent in one day. What the Old Testament did not reveal and what is the mystery that Paul is revealing that a whole bunch of Gentiles are going to come in before Israel. Old Testament didn't understand that. Old Testament thought all these Gentiles were going to get saved after this. We are first. You come to us. And God says, no, it's not about coming to the Jews. It's about coming to me. I determine salvation. And I grant it to whom I choose. And all are undeserving. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? This is the mystery that all these Gentiles, us, are getting in on God's riches to the Jews, and they're not, and we're getting in before they are even resurrected and repent. And what is the mystery? You can write one word over this whole section. This is the church. That's never revealed in the Old Testament. So, Paul explains the implications of the mystery in verses 28 through 29. And let's read this. Here's the bottom line. Here's what, here, here, he spells it out. As regards the gospel... Israel are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's Romans 9, 10, and 11. Here's what he's saying. Because of the gospel, because they rejected Christ, because of the gospel, they are the enemies of God, and God is their enemy. Israel is at war with their God. Because they have rejected Christ. But because they are God's enemies, for our sake, we can now be saved. Because Christ died that the world might be saved. But regarding election, God's eternal election, which we studied all about, Romans 9, because of election, they are beloved of God. So right there, how do we view Israel? We view them in two ways. We love them enough to share the gospel with them. Because they are enemies of God and God wants to reconcile with them. We do not treat them as saying, oh, you know, you know, a lot of evangelicals now teach that there's two ways of salvation. One for us and one for the Jews. And the Jews are already saved, so don't be offending them with the gospel. They're okay. No, they're not. They are not okay. And if we love them, we will... Pre- but we do not reject them and we are not anti-Semitic. And we are not hateful to the Jewish people because God, they are God's beloved. And one day, he will fulfill every promise 
He will fulfill every purpose. And because he fulfills it to them, you and I can be secure in our salvation. Well, that's about as good as I can do for a divine mystery. Three phases. Next week, we're going to look at the two pictures. And I think it will help us to better understand. One goal today, I want you to know, three phases of God's mystery. Because that's what God wants from Romans 11. Let's pray. Father, we know that uh, knowledge can puff up, but love edifies. And you do not give us knowledge to tickle our intellectual fancies. You do not give us end-time promises so that you can satisfy our curiosity. Lord, you give us knowledge to change our hearts, to humble our pride, and to burden our hearts. So I pray, Lord, that we would leave in awe of your majestic mission of mercy. It's beyond us. It's bigger than us. Lord, if one thing we could leave today with, it's this. Your purposes are far bigger than me. But what's amazing is they include me. Oh, Lord, may we have humble adoration. On this Easter week, may we worship with hearts unleashed, with passions let loose, with mouths open. And may we exalt your glorious Savior who died that the world might be saved. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Have a great Easter week.